And a bio going to the line where he's one of two tonight. Miami 16 and 23. Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns are really going. For those of you that aren't parents, it's like a curried applesauce, kind of like a puree. That was Jimmy Butler punking the big purr once again, letting him know he's soft as baby shit. In Miami's win over the Timberwolves, when was it Saturday night? Friday night? I don't know. I didn't catch the game. I'm not going to lie to you. But Miami is fighting to stay in that sixth seed while Minnesota, they've been playing well, man. Like, I, you know, I feel good for Wolves fans. It's been so long since y'all have had hope, right? You know, there's light. There's light shining through here. The problem is y'all are tricking off that draft pick to the Warriors, which I'm completely fine with. Right now, y'all have 21 wins. I say y'all. The Wolves have 21 wins. And they're tied for fourth, fifth, or sixth there at the bottom. And so, you know, the lottery is the lottery. I know there's those flattened odds. They've won enough here late where it looks like they're going to finish out of the top three. The fingers crossed. Dub Nation. It's Monday, May 10th, episode 62 of The Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. Now, I'm sure most of you have seen the Hot Tub Time Machine, right? That's a classic at this point, uh, a new classic. But for those of you that haven't, the premise is you got a bunch of high school childhood friends. They visit an old resort where they used to party at in the 80s. They hop in the hot tub and it sends them back to the 80s. Now, in current day, before they go back to the future, the bellhop is the same bellhop from when they were kids is missing an arm. So once they go back in time to the 80s and he has his arm, now the audience and the characters, everyone is waiting for dude to lose his arm. And every scene he's in, you're like, ah, ah, ah. That's kind of how it feels like watching Anthony Davis. Every time he goes down and hits the floor, you're like waiting for the worst to happen. I hate to say that, dude. I'm not rooting for it. Let me be clear. I'm not. Again, y'all know me. I don't really care about the Lakers' success. But it's just, it just feels like you're on pins and needles with Anthony Davis's health. And it's like you feel like something tragic's about to happen every time he hits the floor damn near. So the Lakers are obviously in really bad shape right now. No one would have imagined this. I have receipts, though. I didn't think it was going to get this bad. But in the offseason, when they went and got Gasol and Trez and everybody was doing victory laps, I was kind of snickering, to be honest with you. So obviously, they need Anthony Davis more than ever right now to carry them. Friday night, the team there chasing the Portland Blazers up in Portland you know, AD played well enough, but they came up short. I thought there was, you know, poor execution really team-wide. You had Mark Gasol out there late. I, you know, <laughs> that's probably one of the worst matchups to have Gasol out on the floor late with Dame, Logo Lillard out there, McCollum, all these pull-up artists where Gasol has to show hard and come up above the line. But again, Drummond, does Drummond foul out every night? Does he foul out every game? Right. And so they had Gasol out there and you saw ultimately they couldn't match firepower. Caruso has been starting here in place of Schroeder. And he chipped in, man. I, I got to say, though, his jumper, it, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. He's never let one go. And I've been like, oh, that's a bucket. Right. I have to wait and see if it goes in. It's just it's just one of those funky releases. But to his credit, 
since he's been starting, he's been chipping in 17, 18 points a game, and he's he finds ways to score. He's not a shooter, we know that. He's got other tools to why he's out there. So after a back-and-forth battle, Portland just has too much firepower down the stretch, and you see Anthony Davis dragging his body off the floor in another loss Friday night. It's like, damn, man, this is getting ugly. Now, last night, against the Suns in L.A., it looked like it was going to be a beatdown, at least on paper, right? The Suns pretty much at full strength, and, and the Lakers just leaking blood everywhere. Wrong. AD showed the fuck up. 42-12-5-3-3 in 41 minutes. Punked Aiton in the entire Suns front court. You got to credit the Lakers, though, for having his back, right? KCP putting the clamps on book. I think he's a guy stylistically that gives him problems. They're kind of equal physically. And then you know KCP prides himself as a defender, but he hit four threes as well. That makeshift backcourt got the job done last night, and you saw just how physical they were. And if the Lakers and Suns, if these two teams are to meet in a playoff matchup, you can't have Frank the Tank and Dario Sarge out there guarding Anthony Davis. Like, I mean, you got to go Crowder, Craig, Maybe even uh, Bridges, right? You you can't you can't have those those two dudes on there. And you know what, Monty perhaps was not really trying to show his hand with some of the matchups or how they wanted to deal with that. But ultimately, to me, when I see this matchup and you look at the Lakers, you've got to beat the Lakers on the perimeter, right? If you're the Suns, it's got to be a matchup where Chris Paul and Book dominate. I also heard someone suggest that maybe the Suns threw this game to avoid seeing the Lakers in the playoffs. Shit. The way it went last night, I don't blame them, right? It does seem like a bad matchup for them. The front court just got bullied. But back to Anthony Davis here for a second, because, you know, last week I was talking about his value and questioning, are his best years behind him? This is his chance to prove me and all the doubters wrong. This is his chance to really establish his legacy and really, like, cement him as far as the player that we all think he can be, because if he can carry this team into the playoffs, hold it down until LeBron gets right and make a long run here. Now, I'm not going to say they've got a repeat. If he can pull this team into the Western Conference Finals or the Finals on his back, I think that that would put the soft talk to bed. No one questions AD's talent level, right? He, he's a Hall of Fame talent. We've questioned his durability, and his toughness, to be frank, right? And if he can power through this miserable season, carry this roster on a deep run, I think that, again, that puts that to bed and that would be a chance for him to kind of establish his legacy. So I was very impressed with his efforts over the weekend. I really was. Do I think two weeks from now he's going to look like this? No, I don't. But again, AD proved me wrong. So yesterday evening there was a pair of balls on NBA TV. Y'all catch it? Lonzo and Melo. And you guessed it, Melo got the better of big bro. At least kind of head to head, right? Melo played better than Lonzo. I've talked about this before in the past. Let me play a little armchair therapy here. I have three kids, sports family, the dynamics of that type of stuff. I'm somewhat familiar. I think LaMelo... Being the baby boy, fighting his older brothers, you know, his entire childhood to get noticed, to compete, to be on their teams. 
Obviously, that helped his development. But I'd also be willing to bet LeVar was probably constantly patting Melo on the back, where in the same instance, he was kicking Lonzo in the butt. Because you tend to be harder on the oldest, right? That's usually how it works. And now you fast forward to them both being in the league and you can see the contrast in their personalities and confidence. But I'm sure some of it, to be clear, is nature. Some of it's nature, right? I think LaMelo just naturally has the juice where Lonzo doesn't. But I mean, Lonzo doesn't have it that bad. If you want to look at brothers and siblings pairing professional athletes, he, at least he ain't got it as bad as Blake Griffin's older brother. You ever see him? I think he played for the Suns for a little bit. He's a little shorter, a little uglier, a lot less talented. And uh, let me leave old Boogie Griffin alone. What's his name? <laughs> I don't even know what his name is. Is it with a B? Anyway, back to the game. You know, the Pelicans, they kind of shocked the Hornets. You had 43 from Terry Rozier, but I think, you know, I think the Hornets came into the game expecting that the Pelicans have packed it in for the season because it was announced on Friday that Zion and Ingram are done for the year. Fractured ring finger for Zion, Brandon Ingram, I believe it's a left ankle. So David Griffin has a press conference and he went to the Phil Jackson handbook. Right? That's the Phil Jackson handbook, claiming Zion gets treated unfair. He's getting abused. You know, there's a lack of fouls, and that's why he got hurt. Right. And so I don't think he believes that. I think he deliberately took this opportunity to try to put that narrative out there. So, you know, Zion can, you know, again, the Phil Jackson handbook. That's what he did with Shaq. He's did it. He's trying to manipulate the narrative through the media to get calls from the referees moving forward. So hey. You got to try what you got to try. So I'm not even mad at that, but that's not what I've seen. You know, I think, I think those that have watched Zion probably would agree with me that he usually gets the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the block charge calls, right? Both he and Giannis get block charge calls that are 50-50, right? Because they're the stars. If it's a bang-bang, is he there or not? They tend to get those calls and I'm cool with it. That's fine. Just don't complain. I think David Griffin should probably just focus on keeping Zion's chunky-ass fingers out the gumbo this offseason, right? Make sure he's in shape. Worry about that. His game is fine. He's being refereed fine. I think if there are any stars in the league that have room to complain about how they're being refereed, it's Nikola Jokic and Steph Curry. Here's a snippet from Bob Fitzgerald, who is the longtime Warriors play-by-play guy. He's called every Steph Curry game. Steph, if he wanted to do that could shoot a lot more free throws but he but he he doesn't view it as a real artistic part of the game do you know what i'm saying like the james harden let me jump into you the luca launch trey young like steph only shoots four free throws a game because he doesn't do that very often talking about trying to draw cheap fouls the way i see it is the reason steph doesn't hunt fouls is because he's always hot steph curry steps on the court his baseline is hot. <laughs> and so when you see, uh, you know, the Luka launch or Harden flopping or trying to draw cheap fouls, Trey Young, it's usually when they're out of rhythm and their shot isn't feeling good. Steph's shot never doesn't feel good, so he's never hunting the fouls. It's kind of ridiculous, but I think it's true. When was it Saturday night? Bradley Beal hangs 50. Mind you, he and Steph Curry are in a battle here for the scoring title. So Steph later that night tells Beal, Hold my brew, brother. I'll give you 49 and three quarters. It was against the Thunder who, look, man, I understand the tank, 
But if, if go watch a Thunder game. I feel bad for these young boys. They're mad. They, they big mad out there just because it's kind of humiliating. But I mean, they're getting the reps, I guess. That's Steph's side of it. I think Steph, you know, he, again, he doesn't hunt the contact because he thinks every fucking shot's going in, right? Like, if you think you're going to make everything, you, you, you don't want the contact. You want to avoid it. You want to get the shot up. It makes perfect sense to me. But at the same time, I think Steph could hunt that at times. That brings me to Jokic, who probably has the most to complain about as far as being refereed in the paint. Denver, Brooklyn, Saturday night. It was an interesting matchup, man. It was probably my favorite game of the weekend. Michael Porter Jr. matched up with Kevin Durant. He went right at his neck, man. Said it before, Porter Jr. is probably the closest thing we've seen to Durant. Not saying he's Durant, I'm just saying the closest, right? Because he's got an alpha mentality. He's a seven-footer, and he's got a pure shot. He had 21 in the first half, and the Nuggets were up big. They were up 21, right? So third quarter starts, Kyrie just starts cooking. Boom, boom, boom. About 10, 12 points in the blink of an eye, and here they come. But I think the headliner for this matchup was the fact that the Brooklyn Nets got away with putting Blake Griffin on Nikola Jokic for pretty much the entire game, and he did a great job. They didn't have to send in an unordinate amount of help. Blake kind of got under his skin. He he took the Dwight Howard method. That's the scouting report. Get extra physical with Jokic. Try to frustrate him. And that's what you saw in this game. And he was getting hammered. He was getting raked across the shoulder. He had scratch marks. And again, he doesn't get as many calls. Now, when you look at his free throw numbers, I think part of it is because of that fadeaway, that high arcing kiss the sky fade. So innately, if he shoots four of those a game, yeah, you're not going to get to the line as much as if you were to put your shoulder down. But you saw Blake able to match strength with Jokic. And again, he just doesn't get as many calls, which is, it's kind of surprising because, not to stereotype, but the Europeans usually are very good at selling the fouls, right? He, You know, that whiplash move, that soccer whiplash move, and he used to do it more. But yeah, Jokic was very frustrated. Brooklyn comes storming back in the second half. And Blake Griffin, again, guarded Jokic and chipped in with 20 points, right? And I'm watching Blake take these wide open threes during the game. To me, that should be a category, a level of three-point shooter. And I want to go ahead and name it. I think that he's a yellow light shooter. Blake Griffin is a yellow light shooter because now everybody's green lighted to shoot the three, right? There's this abundance of threes. Are you a green light shooter or are you a yellow light shooter? And to me, a yellow light shooter is you only shoot open threes generated off of others. Where it swung to you and you're open and you take it. And you saw the results. Blake Griffin can knock those down. But the problem is, like in that same game, Austin Rivers is playing all these minutes for Denver. He's taking, you know, behind the back, step back threes off the bounce. No, you're not a green light shooter. Austin Rivers, you're a yellow light three-point shooter. But again, you know, Guys, a lot of the time, get forced out of pocket and have to do more than they're capable of, especially with all these injuries. So down the stretch, you know, KD, Kyrie, offensively, they, they kind of took over and frustrated this Nuggets team that couldn't execute. They put the clamps on Porter Jr., you know, that sprinting handoff into the three, the, the Duncan Robinson that Porter Jr. has had so much success with. He's got to get better at countering that because late you saw Jeff Green really just blow it up they had one shot at a three 
and Jeff Green just blew up the handoff because it was too deliberate. He's got to pose the threat that he will back cut to the basket so guys can't sell out and top lock him. And Porter Jr., the thing is, he's more than capable, right? We've seen him finish with authority at the rim. He's not afraid. I think he's just a little bit in love with the three ball right now. I think he's got to balance out his attack to keep the defenders honest. But it's I can't blame him. At that size with that shot, it's too easy sometimes. Brooklyn gets a really kind of a much-needed win on the road against a frustrated Denver team. How about this dude, Mike James? Another pickup for the Brooklyn Nets, man. And their roster, like, if you look at their roster day one of camp to now, it's kind of nuts, the turnover that they've had. And, you know, Mike James is a baller, man. He's a nice pickup. I thought he was going to stick in Phoenix a couple seasons ago. I'm familiar with his game. I think he's a guy where when you bring in a, a, a veteran scoring guard like that, point guard, whatever, he's a scorer, When you bring him on a bad team, the problem is when you get an opportunity on a bad team like Mike James has in the past, there's no pecking order, right? And so a GM, innately, the GM on the bad team is on thin ice because he's the GM of a bad team. And so you bring a guy in on a 10-day or whatever it may be, and he's busting the ass of your draft picks, who you think they're going to choose when it comes to the offseason. Most of the time, the GM's not going to favor the undrafted you know, walk-on guy as opposed to the guy they drafted. And so I think Mike James has experienced some of that throughout his NBA cups of coffee. But you go to a Brooklyn Nets team where roles are established and they're like, hey man, just come in 10, 12 minutes and just let them fly. That's the ideal role for a player like him. Y'all see Luca get thrown out late last night. Cleveland picks up his 16th technical. So I guess he's suspended. We've talked about this recently, right? And his his immaturity, his whining. So Sexton, late in this game, it was not competitive. Hip checks Luca. He comes across the paint and kind of slams into him. And Luca reacts by reaching back and cracking him and what looked like the Johnson. But then Sexton's crazy ass looked like he liked it. He didn't flinch. He didn't blink. You know, like, what's your reaction when you're playing and you get hit down there, right? You know, Your booty goes back and you tip down, right? You fold down. You fold in two when you get hit there. It's the natural male reaction. No, not Colin. Colin's eyes just got bigger. (laughs) You got to go look up that clip. So Luca gets thrown out and then he he plays that, oh, I can't believe I did this. What I didn't even know. (laughs) Come on now. Come on now. So, you know, maybe it's a blessing. Does it it doesn't carry over into the playoffs? I think the technical count resets for the playoffs so he couldn't avoid it and ultimately if you're a Luka fan and a Mavs fan this is probably good that it happened I think he needed to sit about a game and and for this incident to happen um in order for him to grow up a little bit and and mature and maybe control himself so you know I I think that they they've won enough games here where they'll they'll still probably avoid the play-in and it's not going to cost them too much what do we got tonight on the docket New Orleans Memphis I guess New Orleans isn't mathematically eliminated. Let's take a look at Jackson Hayes. Jackson Hayes is getting an opportunity now with men down, and he looks like, you know, he looks like he he may be ready to take a step here. Utah, Golden State on NBA TV. This is the Hezzy, brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out, y'all.